Welcome to Screens of the Stone Age, the podcast where scientists review movies about prehistoric people. My name is Josh Lindell. I'm a PhD student studying Neanderthal teeth, and I'm here with... My name is Kimberly Plomp. I am a bioarchaeologist. I study the human skeleton in archaeological context, human evolution, and health and disease. And I'm Ross Barnett, uh, who does animal stuff. <laughs> that was shit. Sorry. Uh, and I'm Ross Barnett. <laughs> I'm Ross Barnett, who's a background in paleogenetics, uh, specializing in Pleistocene felids, uh, saber tooths and cave lines and things like that. That was better. <laughs> yeah, marginally. <laughs> and today we're talking about the movie Prometheus from 2012. Have you guys seen this movie before? No. Nope. I had. I watched it about nine years ago, I think, when it came out um, after the cinema and was disappointed then. I think I'm possibly less disappointed now watching it for a second time, So that, though that is now four hours of my finite lifespan I've spent watching it. I was so disappointed. Uh, I thought when I heard Ridley Scott had done it, I was like, oh, sweet, it's going to stay, like, it's going to be good. But, yeah, so Ridley yeah. Scott did this because this is a prequel to the Alien series. Um, I don't know, is it the fourth or fifth movie in the series? I'm not sure. Depends if you count the Predator movies, I think. Yeah. Yeah, I think it. It's the seventh, if you count that, because there's the the four, one, two, three, and Covenant. Then there's AVP, and then there's AVP Requiem, and then there's this one. Hmm. So, have you seen all those ones? No, I've only okay. seen the, the original three. Yeah, I've I've seen the first four and Alien vs Predator, and then and this one, and then I didn't bother watching AVP Requiem or Alien Covenant. I think I'm pretty much done with. Alien. One and two were are amazing movies, right? Oh yeah, classic. Yeah, for sure. You gotta watch them. Yeah, one and two are are the business. Um, even three is pretty interesting. Four has its moments, but AVP is just Shrek, Schlock, not Shrek. Yeah, it was like Shrek uh, is schlock. amazing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. It wishes does not it was compute. Shrek. <laughs> I was yeah. I had a Palin moment there. I was trying to find a word somewhere between Drek and Schlock. I went for Shrek, but that's <laughs> that's not right. There's just so many stupid things about this movie that, like, I'm like, if they had just put a little bit more thought into building the characters yeah. and like thinking things through, it could have been a pretty okay movie. Like, it would have been entertaining enough. But there was too many stupid things that you couldn't you couldn't. What is that? Withhold belief or whatever. Or? Yeah. Suspend belief. Yeah, suspend belief. Because it was just too many stupid things. Well, anyway, all these movies are futuristic sci-fi movies about aliens, and this one also is, but it fits our show's topic because it is, in fact, an archaeology movie. Uh, it starts off after a very brief scene with an alien on a different planet with an archaeological excavation, and the two main characters are archaeologists. And it also talks about human origins, so even though it seems like you guys didn't like the movie too much, it asks a lot of big questions, which I think are really relevant to our topic. So, uh, which one of you wants to uh, summarize this movie? Well, I, I could, don't know. Bro, I saw it twice, it so... <laughs> yeah, I could give it a shot since I've seen it twice. But, I mean, basically, it doesn't make an awful lot of sense, and it kind of leaves a lot of questions hanging. But I'll give it a shot. So it opens with the two archaeologists 
Shaw and Holloway who are excavating in a cave on Sky, where they discover some cave art, which we'll, I'm sure, talk about later on. But part of this cave art is uh, a series of five symbols, which they interpret as kind of a star chart, because they found it in other cultures separated by time and, and space on Earth as well. So, I mean, this is essentially the setup to Stargate, which is a film that that kind of veers into camp, but does this idea, I think, much better than Prometheus does. So they they kind of switch is from this archaeological site to them on the spaceship Prometheus, which is traveling towards the the site that this galactic star map is supposedly um, identifying. Uh, it's the only place that has a match for for these five stars that are appearing in cave art and early art all over the place. So they are going there with a, a crew which has Idris Elba as the captain. Uh, it has a biologist, a geologist. Um, Charlize Theron plays a character called Vickers, whose kind of role is unclear. Um, it, we find out fairly early on that it's been uh, bankrolled. The expedition has been bankrolled by Wayland, who is the head of the Wayland Corporation, who appear throughout the kind of aliens universe. Uh, the Wayland and Wayland Yutani uh, corporations. So yeah, he he's financed this um, this space flight to the the site that that Shaw and Holloway claim is the source of what they like to call engineers, who they think are the alien race that actually created humans. So that this is very much um, ancient astronaut Eric von Daniken territory. The idea that uh, humans couldn't have done all the things they've done by themselves. They must have had help from from aliens, which you know is has a, an awful lot of, of problems with it. Um, but anyway, they land on the planet. They they find straight away on on a kind of planet sized uh, territory. They find like a a structure which they land beside and decide to go into it inside for a bunch of people that supposedly have advanced doctorates in various branches of science. They decide to take off their helmets uh, because the air is supposed to be breathable, so they all do that. Got to trust the data, right? It said the air was breathable. Got to trust the data. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's just just (laughs) like Kim says, there's a lot of stupid decisions made in this film. Uh, Anyway, um, so they, they, they get out they're, they take their helmets off. They have an explore. They um, they find what they think is the body of an engineer. They find some really weird uh, rooms full of jars with goo inside them, which they uh, decide not to touch, apart from the android David, who's played by Michael Fassbender, who's also part of the crew. I didn't mention earlier. He is the, the only android uh, on the ship. And he takes some of the black goo that is weird uh, from from the room to, for for further study. The archaeologists uh, manage to open up the door beside where the engineer's body is and find his head, which is very human-like. They take that back with them to the uh, spaceship. But while they uh, leave the the kind of um, building that they've been in. They get separated from the biologist and the geologist who are kind of left on their own. A sandstorm is approaching, um, and so that's why they have to leave pretty quickly, and the geologist and biologist get left behind, whereas everyone else makes it back to the ship with this giant alien head. Uh, and then while they're on the ship, 
basically all sorts of things start to go wrong. They uh, they like defrost the the alien head, which they somehow stick a what looks like a a thermometer in its ear, and it comes back to life, and then it explodes, uh, which is obviously quite traumatic, not least for the head. David, the android, working under um, nefarious purposes, feeds some of the black goo to uh, Holloway in a glass of champagne, and he starts to get very ill, but not before he has sex with Shaw, uh, which is also probably not a great idea. The next morning, they uh, they they kind of regain contact with, or they, they can't regain contact with the geologist and the biologist. That's because in the meantime, while everyone's mostly been on the ship, uh, the biologist and the geologist have discovered uh, some living creatures inside the uh, inside the kind of building that they're in that look sort of snake-like and very pissed off. Uh, one of them breaks the biologist's arm and then goes inside his mouth, very much like the uh, the proboscis of the facehuggers in the original Alien trilogy. Uh, and they try the geologist tries to cut it off, and it sprays acid. Um, all over his his face helmet, very much like the face hunger in in the original film. So those guys are done; they're toast, and the the this, the Prometheus crew don't really discover this until the next morning. And the next morning, what they they I think they go out again to to try and find them, uh, don't find them. But while they're out there, uh, Holloway, the one that's been infected by David, starts to get very very sick. He he's kind of noticed some signs that he has sort of black goo inside him. Uh, and gets sicker and sicker, so they decide to go back to the ship again. But Vickers, who's kind of nominally in charge of the of the the crew, the, the character played by Charlize Theron, smartly makes a correct decision. Says, "Oh, this guy's infected. We don't want him back in, in our in our ship." Uh, and he kind of agrees with this, and so almost willingly gets flamethrowered by Vickers, um, which is obviously dramatic for everyone, not least of all Holloway, who kind of dies infected and on fire. Then they kind of cut to, I think, Shaw, who's kind of strapped down, being interrogated by David, asking what went on, why was Holloway sick? Uh, did she have intimate relations with, with Holloway? Um, and turns out that she did, as we saw previously. Uh, and on the scan that David does on her, it seems that she's three months pregnant, which from an earlier conversation, we, we've kind of got the idea that, that uh, Shaw is having uh, troubles getting pregnant. So this is a bit of a surprise. And David looks like he wants to, he knows what's going on and that this is some kind of alien growing inside her and, and that he wants to cut it out. And so Shaw gets the heebie-jeebies, uh, runs away and goes to basically medical bay and tries to get cut out of herself. While this is going on, the geologist guy randomly appears at the airlock of the ship, uh, all kind of scrunched up. He's clearly not having a great day. They decide to open the door because you, why wouldn't you? Um, and he goes nuts and kills everyone pretty much. He has also been infected by whatever the, the black alien goo is. Yeah, I mean, it kind of gets more and more confusing. It turns out that Wayland himself is on the ship. Uh, he is very, very old and is looking for uh, a kind of cure for his various diseases. He wants to live forever. And he thinks his best bet is traveling to where these engineers have come from so that they can, if they created people, they should be able to extend their lifespans. So he has tasked David with getting in touch with the engineers, deciphering their language, acting as a translator. While everyone else is mostly dead, Shaw and 
uh, Wayland, who's who's been on the on the ship this whole time, and David and a few other heavies head back to where David has actually found a living engineer. Not all of them are dead. There's one in a kind of stasis pod uh, who David thinks he he will be able to talk to. We don't actually find out what he says, but Wayland wants him to to ask for for more life. Uh, the engineer, whatever he his uh, opinion is. It's not a good one. He he rips David's head off and kind of whacks uh, Wayland with the wet end. Um, and so that ends badly for them. Uh, Shaw kind of runs away and escapes. Um, but they've discovered that the part of the, the building that they're in is actually a spaceship kind of piloted by the engineers. It's the same spaceship we see in the original Alien and Aliens. Uh, and Shaw works out that whatever the black goo is that's in all these rooms is some kind of biological weapon. And the spaceship is set to return to Earth, where if it crashed and let the black goo free, it would kill anything and everyone. And so she says to uh, Idris Elba, who's the captain, that they have to stop the ship at all, all costs. And so once the engineer has finished kind of killing David and, and Wayland, he straps himself in, ready to fly to, to Earth and sort of sets off in the spaceship while Shaw escapes. Shaw tells Idris Elba that they need to stop the ship. Idris Elba flies Prometheus straight into the alien ship and kind of breaks it, and so it crashes. The only survivors are Shaw, who's on the on the land surface, and Vickers, who escapes in a in a kind of life pod. And while the ship is crashing, Shaw and Vickers are both directly underneath it. Vickers decides to run in a straight line uh, in, at the angle at which the ship is falling, and so gets crushed to bits. Uh, Shaw almost gets crushed, but but is saved by a tiny bit of rock, which stops the several uh, billion ton spaceship from falling on her. At the same time, the engineer has escaped, and so Shaw makes her way to uh, Vickers' abandoned uh, kind of lifeboat. Um, inside there, her extricated alien that she cut out of herself has grown massively and is now like the size of a giant squid, and it's ugly and pissed off. Um, she has communications with David's head, which is still talking and, and in contact. And it says that the engineer is coming for her next. Uh, it comes into the into the lifeboat, but she opens the doors and lets the uh, really annoyed um, alien kind of grab the engineer and take him in. Uh, she escapes from, from the ship again with some food, I think, she grabs from the lifeboat. And then what happens? It's pretty much the end. Uh, yeah, I think she just gives up on the planet. Um, oh no, then what happens is that she's still in touch with David. David tells her that he thinks he'd be able to pilot uh, another spaceship, and there's plenty of other uh, engineer spaceships underneath the surface of the planet, uh, and he could take her back to Earth, but she says no. She wants to reprogram the ships and take them to the engineer's home planet and find out why it is they were so keen, first of all, to make people a man to to destroy them. And that's it. So, I mean, it's it's really... Yeah, there's a lot of bad decisions made, but also, you know, the questions they're asking, they're not really that interesting. They're all a bit, yeah. I think they're just, I mean, I find the, the questions pretty boring. I mean, it doesn't, it doesn't really appeal to me as a, a it's trying to sell itself as um, a kind of big religious allegory yeah. with deep questions. But I think a lot of the questions it's actually asked are fairly shallow um, and not, and not asked in a good way. But that, that was my opinion. That's what I thought is that it was like some like a very shallow person's idea of what big ideas are, or big qu- deep questions. Yeah. Are. What is it? Deepitude. Isn't that what it's called when? Yeah. When they they kind of things up here they're supposed to be deep. 
at uh, at first glance, but actually they're they're just nonsense. That was such a thorough description that I don't think any listeners actually have to watch the movie now. Yeah, and and you know, save yourself some time and just don't bother. Yeah. Oh, it was so ridiculous. Where I don't even know where to start. Yeah, I mean, the cast was great. I have to say that the cast was amazing. Like any other film that had that cast would have been. Yeah. No, and the acting was amazing. Like the Shaw, she was so good. It, the writing really? was terrible. I thought, I thought she was rubbish. Oh, really? <laughs> I thought she was good. Yeah. She. I thought. I thought. Uh, Charlize Theron was great. Uh, Michael Fassbender was great. All the kind of secondary characters were pretty good, but I didn't. I didn't. I mean, normally I quite like uh, Naomi Rapace, um, but not. No, I didn't. But maybe it's not her fault. Maybe it's just because she had to do so many stupid things that that I didn't like it. I just thought that when she was running around in her underwear, sweating and bleeding, it was very reminiscent of um, the first Alien, the iconic woman. Yeah. Who is that? Um, but I mean, you don't like Ripley. Yeah. Is is very. She's only in her pants for a few seconds. I seem to remember, and then she puts on a spacesuit. I mean, that's because that's the sensible thing to do. She was in her people, pants for people, a good few minutes. Yeah. Okay. I will take your word for it. I don't. I don't remember it, but uh, yeah. Yeah, because it was very sexy at the time. <laughs> mm. Well, I mean, we could start at the beginning because I mean, there's pretty much yeah issues right from the very very start. I mean, so it's these two archaeologists apparently, although they can also do all other kinds of science. Right. Yeah. Which I, when I was watching this, I was like, I hope grant applications aren't getting ideas of what archaeologists like can do. <laughs> <laughs> they're they're shit hot molecular biologists as well as being archaeologists. Yeah. And they know all this technology perfectly. And so they find cave paintings, and the cave paintings that they find on in, on the Isle of Skye in Scotland. Um, so it looks like the France cave paintings with the. Um, cave lions and everything and the people like it's pretty much essentially exactly like that and then kind of on top of it is this big cute black humanoid shape pointing at the five blobs which i don't know why you'd ever just assume that was stars either right like it's all so stylistic that there's no reason why you'd always just assume it was stars but then she says so they walk she shows so shaw finds it and she calls holloway in to come look at it and he walks in and he looks at it. And he's like, have you dated it? And she's like, 3,500 um, years. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, that's exactly how we date cave paintings. You just walk in, you get a feel for the place. Like, oh, so aggravating. Yeah, I mean, that, that, that pissed me off as well. Because like carbon dating usually takes like four weeks at minimum. Well, um, if you know somebody. It can be very difficult to, to carbon date cave paintings as well, right? Yeah. But they, they I mean, that, they sort of explain that later on. Because they also carbon date the engineer that the the body that they find by sticking uh again it looks like a thermometer into him so it looks like they have instant carbon dating which is you know living in the future sounds great with instant carbon dating but then you know there's a problem there they're on an alien planet carbon dating relies on knowing (laughs) kind of atmospheric uh carbon levels of carbon 14 through time uh that's why it can be quite tricky and yet somehow they, they have instantly calibrated what the, the C-14 cycle is on this alien world. Yeah. But carbon dating was only invented 70 years ago, and this is 70 years in the future from us. So this is the suspension of disbelief. I can easily push that one aside and say they've got better technology. We better have better carbon dating technology in the future. So that's fine. Okay. 
They have uh, devices on their wrist where they can instantly measure the uh, the composition of the air on the planet. So why can't they measure the composition of carbon uh, fourteen in okay. the atmosphere? Okay. But yeah, if we go back to the the cave art that that Kim was talking about, I mean that that annoyed me for multiple reasons. One is that there is in Scotland no cave art from that time period. No. Mm-hmm. Let alone off, you know, horses and lions like in Chobe Cave. So why uh, did they have to make you know, it on the Isle of Skye? Like, why not yeah, make it in exactly. France? They could have chosen pretty much anywhere else. I mean, for one thing, the Isle of Skye was uh, glaciated during that time period because Scotland was mostly under an, a mile of ice. You know, that, that's just what happened during the Ice Age in Scotland. That's why we don't, we have hardly any fossil mammals from that time period. Um, they, they said, I think, 35,000, which is the time frame for the Chauvet uh, cave art that's been carbon dated. But from that time period, there's like a couple of bones of uh, giant deer, a couple of bones of woolly rhino, and they're all from the, from the far south uh, of Scotland. Um, there's a couple of bones of mammoth, and that's it. We, Scotland just doesn't have fossils from that time period or anything because it was all under a mile of ice and it's been kind of uh, squeezed flat into dust. So yeah, to find cave art on sky is just... I mean, this is the problem of of having um, fairly deep knowledge of any one particular subject is that it destroys your enjoyment of anything where they, they get it even slightly wrong. Yeah, I, I don't know why that, having it be the Isles guy had nothing to do with the plot line or any information. Like, so I, just, I don't know why they... No, I think just because the Coolins look amazing, which is what the background there was. Um, but yeah, they could have chosen literally pr- pretty much anywhere else on the planet. They could have chosen... You know, the United States, they could have chosen South America, they could have chosen Australia. Africa, they could have chosen Australia, anywhere. But a lot of these places actually have a tradition of cave art. Yeah. You know, they could have chosen France or Spain, uh, but no, they chose like one of the few places that would have been completely under ice, which is annoying. And then so they, once they find this, this is the last piece of evidence that they need for their hypothesis. So then they go to <laughs> and get money to, from this Wayland guy. And they're like, look, we found, you know, six different cave paintings or or symbolisms of a person, a humanoid, pointing at these five dots, which we which can Which is only... nuts, isn't it? Five, five uh, isn't enough, but six. six. Wow, now we're talking. <laughs> yeah. Let's give them a trillion dollars yeah. and, a, and a faster than light spacecraft and just let them get on with it. They, they know their shit. Exactly. And so they say, <laughs> you know, they look at these five dots, which have no interesting pattern at all. It's just five dots. But they've decided that these five dots can only correspond to this star star cluster that's galaxies, I don't know, millennia, I don't know, light years, I don't know what how, how you measure space, a long ways away. Hmm. Um, you wouldn't be able to see from Earth. And that's the only possible thing that they could come up with that would have this pattern of these five dots together. So they get this money, and they go, and it seems to me like Everybody else on the ship isn't really into this. Like, the two archaeologists are going. Everybody else is going because they're being paid to go, but they're not really into it. Charlize Theron is going, and she's into it, but we don't know why. And then we find out later it's because the old guy is her dad, so she's... But, I mean, like, that, that doesn't even really matter, right? Yeah. It just really seems like it's just an old man putting all of his money into this idea of these two archaeologists. Which is, you know, fine. He can spend his money as he wants. And then, um, yeah, I think that's about it for archaeology. Yeah, I mean, uh, their technique on the alien planet itself is is 
you know, shoddy. Yes. Shoddy at best. It was ridiculous. I mean, so they get to the planet and they find this this shape of this thing that looks like it's made. So it doesn't look like a, like a, a landscape that would have been naturally formed in the environment. So it looks like something that's made. And David, the robot, says that it's um, hollow. So they know that there's, you know, they're going to go into it. So it seems like it's a building of some kind. And so they decide they're going to go into it. And the biologist, I think it is, or the geologist, has this big gun. And they're like, Shaw's like, why are you taking the gun? And he's like, because we're on an alien planet going to meet these engineers that we don't know who they are or what they are. We don't know what's in that thing. And she was like, don't take the gun. And for some reason, he mm. listens to her. Like, <laughs> I don't, she's not, I don't, one, she's an idiot. Two, no, nobody would listen to her. They'd be like, yeah, no, thanks, taking my gun. And then I would have been so mad if I was that dude because they got left behind and killed by the life forms. So could you imagine that she's like, put away your gun and you put it away and you don't take it. And then they leave you behind overnight in this thing. I'd be so angry. <laughs> yeah. And then when they decide that they want to go and look at, so they find the live creatures and they go up and they're like, oh, it's so pretty. Let's get up really close to it. You would never because one, it's an alien creature on this planet. But two, even if you were on Earth, that life form does not look friendly or cute. You could think it was beautiful, but it doesn't look like a herbivore. It looks... I think he trained at the at the Steve Irwin School of uh, yes. Animal Handling. Yeah. He, he was very much just, I'm going to stick my thumb right up his butt hell. Yes. That was his kind of <laughs> approach to If he was a biologist, uh, he would be like, weird everything alien about this life form tells me that it's some kind of parasitic or carnivorous or like everything about it is telling me that it feeds off of things. Yeah. It's not like it was a cute little bunny rabbit. No, but those things are vicious as well. Yeah, but you would find, like, if you walked on the planet, there's a little Furby. You'd be like, oh, you're a cute little thing. Like, I would get attacked by that a lot quicker than I'd get attacked by that thing. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, they, and the, there's always just, you know, taking off your helmet in, a, in an oh. alien planet with unknown atmosphere is, is incredibly stupid, so even if, if you can. The carbon, like, oh, the carbon percentage is okay okay but you still don't know what kind of life forms are in the air so yeah dumb. yeah absolutely and then they don't know how he got infected yet when they all go back they still all take off their helmets yeah just absolutely daft uh yeah and you know sticking your finger in the black goo that's in jars <laughs> that's also pretty stupid well and when they took the head in so they take the head that guy's head into the spaceship then they're dissecting it and she, like, they have, like, a COVID mask on, right? Like, not even an N95 type thing. <laughs> and then yeah. she takes her mask off to get a closer look at this, like, the fungus that's growing on this dead alien head. And yeah. they're like, none of this is, like, health and safety protocol. They're, they're wearing less uh, stuff, protective stuff, than when they try and um, put Shaw into the, into the stasis tube. Like, later on, when they're wanting to take her away they're wearing a full-on kind of radiation yeah. protective suit but to look at what kind of weird mold is growing on the head thing they're right up to it just the head of an alien you've got a little kind of cloth mask on yeah <laughs> and then that thermometer thing that they threw that they shoved in his head they said that they were going to so she looked at the the mold on its head and said that it looked like it was um molting right and then she said well how about I bet you if we add electricity, we can get it, we can trick its neurological system into thinking it's alive or its nervous system. 
And so the other person's like, oh, okay, that sounds like a good idea. So it takes this shock thing and then just shoves it in his head. Because I'm like, yeah, because you know the brain anatomy of this alien life form, right? Shoves it into his head and then just turns up the voltage until it starts to twitch. (laughs) Like, it was just bad. So uh, when they're still on the ship before they actually land, the two archaeologists give them this sort of lecture about why they're there. And they show all these archaeological artifacts, all these tablets showing the same humanoid figures pointing at these five or six stars and i got really excited because i'm like this is a place where i can pause and like identify every single artifact and the first one i noticed was the uh king pakal's sarcophagus lid from uh the mayan city of palenque which is really recognizable Mm. and uh so i started looking at all the rest of them to try and figure out if i could identify exactly which artifact they are did you guys notice any of those uh no it was going to pass for me I think there there's something that looked a bit like the um, Ashurbanipal breezes from Nineveh, which I didn't really get a good close look at. But the the one that you're talking about isn't that that one? That's one that's fairly uh, well known in kind of ancient astronaut circles. I think. Pont yes, Anakin. absolutely. Mm-hmm. So I I paused it and I tried to identify every other one because I could easily recognize that one because it's really well known on ancient aliens and that sort of thing. Uh, and I spent far too long because I quickly, I didn't quickly realize, I eventually realized that all the rest of them are made up. They're sort of based yeah, on right. other artifacts. Uh, but I found a webpage talking about the Alien series, and it was talking about these movie props in particular and about the different... So they're based on different Babylonian and Sumerian mm-hmm. artifacts, but they're just sort of in the style of these other ones, and they're not actually... Um, Real ones. And then I looked at the uh, Pakal sarcophagus lid again, and I realized that it's also edited. Uh, so this sarcophagus lid is the one that Ancient Aliens always talks about. It looks like a guy in a spaceship. And that comes uh, from Eric Von Daniken's book, uh, Chariots of the Gods, in 1968, where he said specifically he thought this was a picture of an astronaut. And of course, he was entirely wrong because he ignored all the context, uh, because if you know anything about Mayan iconography, which I don't really, but I trust the archaeologists who do, this is, first of all, it's on a sarcophagus lid, uh, so it's supposed to depict King Pakal descending into the underworld, and everything behind him is supposed to be this world tree, which is a symbol that shows up in a lot of different cultures. Uh, So obviously, it's a it's a coffin lid and it's showing him descending into the underworld and that all makes perfect sense. But in this uh, movie, they edited it. So they've like cut out the sort of the top quarter of the image and replaced it with those five or six stars and the moon, which is what you see in everything else. Mm -hmm. And I wouldn't have noticed that if I didn't pay attention for everything else and realize they were all also made up. So anyway, yeah. So this trying to tie that, uh, Pakal's sarcophagus lid, uh, the interpretation of it as an astronaut, uh, and like making it even more explicit by faking that it actually had a, a moon and stars above it. Yeah, I mean, we definitely need to talk about you know how uh, pernicious I, I think the ancient aliens' idea is to to kind of good archaeology and how kind of uh, condescending it is as well to to the kind of different societies that have made you know pretty fantastic structures um but yeah you know you don't need aliens to to um build the pyramids or stonehenge or you know whatever people are very good at making things themselves 
There's a great podcast that started around the same time we did called It's Probably Not Aliens. <laughs> and uh, they're much more successful than we are because both of them already had independent YouTube channels. So they already had big audiences. Nice. Uh, but basically, they they take uh, a different ancient aliens topic every episode. And at first, they said they were going to try and evaluate them sort of... Um, in a non-biased way, but then they quickly realize there's no way to do that because it's all nonsense. Because <laughs> you can't you can't give fake credence to it too. Because also it's same with creationists. It's if you give any kind of like, okay, I'm not. It's not even that I'm going to give you that point, but I'm just not going to argue that point. Then they'll just ravage that. Like that's what they'll go for, and they'll they'll act like that's how they're yeah. going to take you down. You can't have any yeah. of that open. This movie, no, too, the just, religious just, connotations really pissed me off. Like, yeah. I just felt like it was shoved down my throat. <laughs> but, I mean, it's, it's also, they kind of give the impression that Shaw comes from, like, a, a missionary background, that her dad might be a missionary or, or a preacher in, in, a, in a foreign country, and that she wears um, a crucifix kind of the whole time, which is very important to her. And she wants to get to the answers and... You know, it's all about what you believe. I mean, I just found that, yeah, it just didn't jibe with the whole, oh, we're in an advanced uh, society that can travel to the stars, yet I still choose to believe um, the stuff that my parents believed. I mean, yeah, fair enough, but what was it actually trying to say? Um, what, what what was its point in the film um, of habit, having these kind of religious themes brought up? It didn't really go anywhere. No, it's American propaganda. Like, really, that's what I feel like it is, is American propaganda. (laughs) Mm. Well, I actually talk about this film in um, my uh, archaeology and popular culture class, not necessarily because I think it's a very good film, but because uh, sort of what it is sort of more broadly in the context of films about science. Uh, So starting with the name Prometheus, I think we've talked about Prometheus, like the original Prometheus, at least in passing before, but um, do we know what the uh, Greek uh, Titan Prometheus, what the story uh, about that guy was? He's the one that stole us fire from Mount Olympus, from the gods, and he brought fire to us so that we weren't in the dark and cold anymore. And Zeus punished him so... Every day he gets his liver eaten by birds, and then he comes back to life, and then it happens again. That's him, right? Yeah, yeah. that's basically it. Uh, in some versions, he also created humans out of out of dirt or something like that, too. So in the context of this movie, it's Prometheus is the creators of humans and also the god or the force or whatever that gave humans basically civilization. So fire is like a a proxy for civilization and technology and stuff like that. And so Prometheus uh, shows up in literature basically all throughout history. And it's, it's sort of a story of, again, about hubris, I guess, but also about like balance, uh, you know, balancing this quest for knowledge versus, uh, you know, too much knowledge is too powerful or something like that. So humans weren't allowed to have the same power that the gods have. And uh, because Prometheus tried to give humans that power, he gets punished for it. And the humans get punished as well, because in some versions of that uh, myth, after Zeus punishes Prometheus, he sends Pandora to Earth and 
opens up her box, and that's why we get all of this, uh, all the bad stuff on Earth. So we get mm. fire, we get technology, but on the other hand, we also get evil and, and bad stuff. But uh, this myth shows up in a lot of movies featuring scientists. And so when I talk about this in my class, I'm talking about how archaeologists are represented in movies sort of compared to other scientists. Mm. Uh, because there, there's a few papers that I assigned in my class talking about when scientists are represented in movies, more often than not, scientists are uh, dangerous or they're bad guys. You have mad scientists. And so uh, depending on the, on the type of science, sort of the harder the science gets, the more evil the scientist gets. And archaeology and anthropology sort of have a special place in this continuum because we're scientists, but we sort of straddle the line between the sciences and the humanities. And so the Prometheus theme shows up in lots of science fiction and um, in movies and stuff like that because there's sort of this desire of people to have new technology, but at the same time to be fearful of it uh, and distrust it. And so archaeologists often end up being heroes in movies like this because they tend to be able to balance the science versus the humanities, whereas the scientists end up uh, not being able to balance that human side and they have their motivations are too dangerous. So they're trying to learn something that the gods don't want them to know. And in the end, they get punished. Uh, so the first sort of modern sci-fi uh, story to use this theme, of course, is uh, Mary Shelley's Frankenstein, because the subtitle of that book was A Modern Prometheus, or The Modern Prometheus. Yeah. And so again, that's a story of a scientist who wanted too much power. He wanted the power to create life. And that is a power that only the gods have in in our popular, you know, in our in our cultural imagination. That's uh, if you're trying to mess around with creating life, uh, that's not acceptable. Uh, and so scientists should be wary of of looking for that. And we see the same thing in this movie because we have a lot of different scientists and they all have different motivations. A lot of them are just motivated by money because they're just a hired crew. Money's not a good motivation to do science because you're not balancing your ethical side and those characters die off. You have Wayland, who's motivated to be immortal. He's looking for the power to create life or to maintain life. That is a too much power for a human, so he dies. Uh, you have um, Holloway, who is an archaeologist, but his motivations are just the sheer pursuit of knowledge for knowledge's sake. That's too dangerous because if you're not balancing the knowledge you're gaining, uh, that can lead to unintended consequences. So he dies and Shaw is the only one who lives because she's the only archaeologist who really is balancing her humanities side. So she fully accepts the truth about human origins that we were created by these engineers, but she still maintains her Christian faith in, li in light of that. And that's why she gets to live through this movie. So the movie, I don't know if this is explicit on the writer's parts, uh, but it's filling, it's uh, sort of fitting into a long line of science fiction movies where the pursuit of science for many reasons is too dangerous for humans and you have to balance it with a humanities side or else you get punished. Uh, and we've seen this in some of the other movies we've watched. Usually we're watching movies set in the past, so we don't have this question. But the first movie we watched, uh, William, uh, sort of has this because you have scientists 
uh, trying to create life. They're trying to clone a Neanderthal to bring it back to life. And of course, in that case, they're the mother and the father. The mother is, you know, motherly. She's the humanity side and she's the good character. The father is the hard science distant father. And he gets punished because I believe he gets stabbed at the end of that movie, right? Yeah, with a Paleolithic knife. Yeah. I guess Jurassic Park's part of that as well. Yeah, Jurassic Park, absolutely. Uh, even though they're not archaeologists, we still have the paleontologists who are more down to earth. They're uh, in touch with the material where we have, you know, the lawyer is in it for money. Um, we have uh, Wu, Henry Wu in that one, who doesn't play a, that big a role in the first movie, but becomes the villain of the later movies. Uh, uh, and uh, Ross, uh, you'd be interested in this because uh, some of the papers that I assign in my class suggest that the most villainous sciences are medicine and genetics. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> and I think genetics is very interesting because we can, I mean, genetics, we have, you know, potential for genetic engineering already. Mm. Uh, that's like literally messing around with the fabric of what it means to be human. Yeah. I have I have some sympathy for that that viewpoint. I mean, you you can see that in the in the real world just now. You know, the, you look at the things that get uh, protested, uh, and it's things like GM crops. It's things like uh, animal testing. You know, nobody ever seems to protest, as far as I know, about uh, people finding new particles at CERN or uh, or things like that. Physicists seem to have a much easier ride. But if you're in uh, genetics, biology, medicine. Probably the, the the sciences that are closer to um, you know understanding ourselves, particularly mm -hmm. you know evolutionary biology, um, biochemistry, uh, molecular genetics, all these kind of things. People don't really like having the the kind of mystical um, vitalism um, kind of explained away very much, and I think that's part of it too. That you know the idea that we actually do know quite a lot about how how we came to be about a lot of that just is ignored because it, it creates more uncomfortable questions for people. And basically every culture on earth has always had their own origin stories. So when you have a science that's looking at the origin of humans, it's automatically stepping on the toes of everybody's pre-existing origin yeah. myths. Yeah. So you end up with a nat sort of natural conflict there. Hmm. Yeah. So Ross, as a geneticist, what do you think about this idea um, that's prominent in ancient aliens uh, mythology, that aliens could have played a role in modifying human DNA to create humans. Uh, well, I mean, it's pretty rubbish. You know, if you look at kind of human genetics, I mean, clearly we're primates, we're, we sit in, in the primate family tree. If you're going to take that as your hypothesis, then what they would have had to have done was modify uh, something that was in the, the kind of ancestry of, of chimpanzees, bonobos, and humans. But, you know, there's there's lots of things that are pretty rubbish about human genetics. Like we don't uh, naturally synthesize vitamin uh, C, I think it is, which other primates do. So that's that's kind of like a... Because we get so much from the fruit and, and vegetables we eat, we, that's just been lost by kind of natural selection. It's, it's not been... Uh, retained so i mean that's pretty rubbish if you're going to engineer like humans then why get rid of a very useful skill which uh has big problems if you're 
you know, on long distance journeys without any limes or lemons or other citrus fruits, um, your teeth start falling out, you get scurvy, that kind of thing. And yeah, I mean, we just, everything we see from, from human genetics, when we look at, particularly at the phylogenetic side of, of things, matches incredibly well with the, the kind of fossils and the, and the paleoanthropology that we have. We, we, uh, you know, we see um, human groups as being very, very similar um, outside of Africa, which is where most of uh, modern human diversity is. Uh, we, we find and we have genetics of, of extinct human relatives, things like Neanderthals and Denisovans and uh, even um, the Atapuerca people, whatever species they belong to. So are we to assume that um, at which point did these aliens come in and start modifying? Was it after we split from Neanderthals? In which case, why did they allow kind of two different groups to, to be around at the same time? Why did we have intelligent Neanderthals and intelligent humans around at the same time? Did they just want, you know, a, a, a kind of suite of, of different options? You know, it just, it just, I mean, I, as a kid read a whole bunch of Von Daniken and, and others of his ilk, you know, uh, and it is very interesting and, and persuasive if you have no, if you have no information, which as a kid, I didn't. And it did encourage me to kind of check these claims a bit, a bit more. And as soon as you do that, they just start falling apart. I mean, like you said, with the, uh, the tomb of Pokal, um, which is often put forward as a piece of evidence for ancient alien stuff that he's sitting in a, in a spaceship. But actually, if you know a bit about kind of Mayan culture and uh, their iconography, then everything makes much more sense than it being a guy sitting in a spaceship. And and, and a lot of the, the kind of ancient aliens people, I mean, it's just, it, it's almost the, uh, it's almost, you know, it's just sort of scientific uh, bigotry, essentially. That's what they're trying to do is just take away uh, the, prestige that the, that these cultures have from having such amazing uh, buildings or technologies or artifacts or or whatever that, that, that they've produced uh, and saying well no actually we don't think you could have done that it, it's it's weird and it always seems to be that it's it's non-european cultures that that uh, that are um said to be part of the ancient alien um thing so the, you know the pyramids of egypt or the pyramids of mexico or the Nazca lines of Peru or whatever, you, you never or you very rarely hear um, ancient alien proponents saying, well, Stonehenge, that couldn't have been built by Western Europeans in the Neolithic. It must have been aliens or, you know, nobody could have made Silbury Hill or, or Maze Howe or, or, uh, or any of these other kind of mega structures that, uh, that just kind of get glossed over. So, yeah, I mean, I, I just don't particularly like ancient alien stuff it just, it just feels like kind of uh racism and xenophobia tried to be dressed up as, as something um scientific which is not if uh if they do suggest aliens had a hand in any uh european history stonehenge is about the only one they'll ever suggest but they'll never suggest any architecture from london or paris which if coexisted with the mayan civilization right so yeah they never say aliens <laughs> built the Notre Dame cathedral. <laughs> yeah. 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 Maybe they could come back and give us a hand if that's the case. Rebuilding Notre Dame, I mean. Actually, uh, do you know the story about um, the uh, video game company Ubisoft that makes uh, the Assassin's Creed series of games? They had photo scanned 
uh, Notre Dame Cathedral uh, to such a high resolution to to build it in the game, or uh, I don't know if they photo scanned it, but they had like reconstructed it for the game to such a high resolution that they're actually using those reconstructions to help the actual reconstruction of uh, Notre Dame Cathedral in real life. Ooh. Yeah, I heard that. That's pretty neat. As for one of the most accurate things of this movie was when Shaw had the alien baby in her and she was running to um, Charlize Theron's room because she had noticed beforehand that Charlize Theron had this like pod, medical pod thing in her room that was supposed to be able to do surgery and cure you of things. So her idea was that she would go and get this alien fetus taken out of her. <laughs> so she goes to say like, um, my uterus. <laughs> it says, sorry, this is only configured for males. And it's just so, <laughs> that's the only accurate thing is that like, in and yeah. it's a female that's re- leading the ship and it's in her cabin for her special in case anything goes wrong, she gets to be stay alive. And it was just so I was like, yeah, that's yeah. about right. I, I recently read, I don't know if you read this, Kim or, or Josh, um, Invisible Woman by, uh, Christiana Perez. Not yet. Uh, and yeah, I'm sure. List. Yeah, I'm sure she would have a lot to say about that as well. But you know, it, it was it was really, <laughs> really kind of realistic that you know, of course, it's configured for male anatomy, and that there's no option for uh, doing an emergency cesarean or you know an abortion, yeah. um, which is essentially one of the kind of subtexts of this kind of work. Well, she and, wouldn't have I even think, been uh, able to have a yeast infection cured or anything. Like it would have nothing. <laughs> there would have been nothing that she could have. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, which is interesting. I thought that was one of the interesting, um, one of the few interesting things about this film was the uh, the way Shaw wants to get the the alien removed, mm. and and definitely through all the alien films, the kind of body horror aspect of it is the is partly the idea of uh, how terrifying kind of pregnancy is. And this um, idea that, you know, another organism lives inside you, then bursts out whether you wanted to or not um, kind of taps a, a very kind of raw nerve, particularly with men, uh, yeah. squeamish men. Um, but yeah, I thought that was quite interesting that they, um, that Shaw was wanting to get cut out straight away and how she did that. And also it had kind of, I guess in the kind of world we find ourselves in today that, uh, you know, very much i'm of the opinion that abortion is healthcare, and that mm-hmm. for, for shaw's case in this film that was very true very true. Um, and uh, i wonder how anyone on the kind of religious right would would view that uh yeah would uh, a xenomorph have have a have a right to life who knows <sighs> well is the uh whalen corporation an american corporation because i suppose this is just telling us how uh how that um argument progresses 70 years mm. in the future right yeah no no onboard uh <laughs> chips can be configured to to female anatomy uh but i i don't think we talked about it before but one of the interesting things i think which makes the, the alien films as a whole so kind of terrifying and so interesting is that they're based on real biology like the the kind of life cycle of the aliens this kind of classic egg face hugger drone and queen kind of lifestyle mm-hmm. is, is based in real biology and that that's where Dan O'Bannon the, the guy that wrote the original screenplay kind of got it from it's, it's actually fairly common in biology for certain particular parasites to uh, lay their eggs inside hosts and for their eggs to then grow while the host is alive and then to 
either kill the host and emerge or to kill the host by emerging. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it happens in wasps. It happens in uh, some species of, of uh, spider. It happens in fungi. It happens in all sorts of of things. So as terrifying as, as it is to humans, it's it's something that's fairly common throughout the animal kingdom. Mm-hmm. I think my, my favorite one is the, well, I've got a couple of favorite ones, but there, there's a, a species of, of uh, ichneumon wasp, I think, which uh, lays its eggs in tarantulas of some kind. And it's able to uh, kind of inject the eggs into the spider, but also somehow control its behavior in such a way that it can steer it. It can basically kind of ride the tarantula back to its hole and encourage it to kind of just stay inside its its kind of nest while the, the wasp eggs uh, kind of uh, hatch inside the, the spider's body and kind of consume it from within. Oh, nature, so, man. It's amazing. That sounds yeah. very parasitic. Mm. Like, even the reason why I love my cats is because of a parasite, right? <laughs> could be. Yeah, it could be. Uh, um, toxoplasmosis. Yeah. One thing that did piss me off, well, there's many things that piss me off about this movie, the non-scientist, <laughs> is they were getting mad at um, Holloway for about something, and they were like, tell the doctor and his girlfriend... It really pissed me off because she's a doctor too, mm. and it just—I don't know if that if that was meant to be and, and played into the whole this machine is not made for females thing, or if it was just. But I, language like that is seems so small, but it actually isn't. It's huge. Yeah, but one thing I noticed throughout the film is they, whenever there was a choice of uh, using a, a kind of noun to describe all of of humanity, they went for mankind. So they say they say mankind about half a dozen times. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is it's not very inclusive. Uh, you know, what about womankind? Why not just use humanity or humans or or any other word which which doesn't have almost specific um, description of man in it? Yeah, yeah. I think you know it just it had so much promise. It this is. film, I mean, this is what I thought at the time when it came perfect, out. I mean, with like story lined up to tell. Yeah, I think. Well, I mean, you know, it came from such a. Uh, a good heritage of, of other films like Alien and Aliens, uh, such a rich universe, so many stories that could be told. Yes, I just don't really understand why people keep going to to do prequels because generally they don't work. They just don't work. It feels like the prequels are always the laziest written ones. Like, <laughs> yeah, and and they're they're kind of hamstrung by the fact that for the most part, if it's a prequel, then we know what's going to happen at the end which which kind of ruins yeah, so it has film. it has to have a direction that it's going in yeah yeah i mean they could have just had it be a in the alien universe beforehand and just not even had it be linked i did like i enjoyed yeah. some of the throwbacks to alien although i think they could have done more like um like her running around in her underwear and then also <laughs> they should have had a cat on board they should have had a cat but then when david's head gets ripped off he it looked almost the same as when the guy's head got ripped off in the first one with all the milky stuff, like the Ash, the fluid yeah. is is milky and everything. It looked very similar. So the their I'm alien sure. tech or I mean, their robot the, technology the, didn't change that much from in the hundred years. All the yeah. androids seem to end up with their heads ripped off or or in half or somehow. Just a shame. Well, it's the way that shows that they're dead, but then their head can still keep talking. Hmm. But yeah, there should have been a cat. I always remember the. Uh, <laughs> it was I must have seen it on Twitter or Instagram or something of uh, the most sort of succinct uh, and concise film review of uh, of Alien, 
which was somebody had written, which was along the lines of nobody on a spaceship listens to the smart woman and her cat. They all die. Yeah. Smart woman and cat live. Yep. Uh, and that, that's it. <laughs> I don't uh, I don't think I disliked this one quite as much as you guys did. I don't think it's a perfect movie, but I feel like I like some of the things you guys say you didn't like. Like I like the way they did this as a prequel, sort of as a standalone. Uh, I think that's possibly a better way to do things because when I first saw this movie, I don't remember exactly when it was, but I don't think I knew it was a prequel to the Alien series going into it. I don't think I realized that until somewhere towards the end. Uh, And I wasn't necessarily too familiar with the Alien uh, movies at the time. I think I might have seen like parts of the first Alien when it was on TV or something like that. So I've since seen Alien 1 and 2 and a few others as well. And I can see how they all connect together. But uh, going into this movie without the expectation that it has to build up the backstory of the Alien franchise, Mm. uh, a lot of the questions and like a lot of the reviews I see online talk about people being disappointed that it doesn't really say anything by the time you get to the end of it. I kind of like that about it because it kind of works as a standalone movie. It's not directly related to the plot of the other movies because it just sort of happens and then has no consequence for the movies that come chrono- uh, chrono- chronologically after it. Uh, and then the the question that they're asking in the movie is about our origins. And then at the end of the movie, we still don't have an answer to that. She's flying away to the alien planet to still look for that answer. Mm. and. I think I like that about it because if if you're going to ask the question of human origins and then just give a straightforward answer, I feel like that sort of is going to be so limiting in scope, you're just going to narrow down all the possibilities to the one that the writer decided on. And then if the writer isn't the best writer in the world, uh, then it's going to be disappointing to somebody. So I like the the way it ended sort of open-ended without really giving any answers. And I like that it was only sort of tangentially related to the rest of the Alien movies. Of course, um, it has all the the problems we've talked about, the ridiculous choices that people make, like taking off their helmets. And it's got the whole problematic ancient aliens, humans were created by aliens But still brings in God. Somehow it does both. Well, yeah. I mean, that's what, the, that's what you have to do in a movie about science, because science is dangerous. So you have to balance that humanity side, which in this case is religion. So, uh, I mean, I guess I don't really like the demonizing of hard sciences either, but uh, I, see, I can understand how this movie functions in the context of broader popular culture movies about scientists. I guess there was, I mean, there were so many times that I thought I'd skip, missed a scene. I even went back to watch it again to see what I missed because it just felt like it jumped without explaining things. And then I understand like, okay, so she wants to go to this planet and get the answers, but she's not going to get the answers. Like David spoke to them in a language that they could hypothetically understand. He just ripped his head off. Like, so she's going to go to this planet of them. Do you think they're going to, like, she's going to be like a wasp to them. That's why the movie ends there. It's not about actually getting the answers. It's about asking the questions. Uh, I mean, back to your point, Josh, about it being a sort of standalone film. I think, yeah, yes, in some ways. But there's other standalone films which actually explore very, very similar kind of uh, ideas, which I think are possibly a bit better. So one that I actually quite liked uh, recently was Life. I don't know if you either of you have seen that film. It's got... Um, 
uh, Jake Gyllenhaal and Ryan Reynolds and Rebecca Ferguson in it. But it's very similar. Like uh, some some terrible scientists find a, a kind of unknown alien goo on their spaceship and mess around with it, and it kind of kills most of them. Um, but it, it avoided the the kind of questions about where do humans come from and all this kind of stuff, which I don't think are are really all that interesting. Um, and and yeah, I think the Cloverfield paradox is another one that has a sort of similar theme of alien goo kind of let loose on a spaceship killing most people. Maybe it's because we're scientists studying human origins that we don't find that question interesting because we still feel like we have the answers. But for other people, that's a like questioning where we came from and why we're here is kind of like central to the human experience generally, isn't it? Sure. But I don't think the answer is going to be aliens. Alien goo? Um, Yeah. Just never poke alien goo. (laughs) So what's our final summary our final uh what's the word i'm looking for final score what's our final score I mean, it, get, it gets surprisingly high ratings on imdb which sur- surprised me I, w- I wouldn't have given it above maybe a, a five out of ten if it wasn't for this podcast i wouldn't have finished it <laughs> i didn't like i didn't dislike it that much i'm gonna go with uh, imdb i'm gonna say it's a seven out of ten i uh i enjoyed it i've seen it three times i think I uh, I enjoyed it every time. It's not it's not the best movie, but it's a solid B. Yeah, I mean it doesn't drag, which considering how long it is, is quite interesting. I mean, I, I maybe it's just because there's so many things I don't like that it kind of moves from one to the next, and that keeps me engaged. I don't know. <laughs> I'd give it a four. Yeah, it's it's no uh, California man. No. Wait, did it pass the Bechdel test? There's two females. There are three. Uh, yeah, I think oh, yeah, it does. I think Shaw and uh, Vickers talk to each other, or Shaw and the uh, Lisa Aaron from Game of Thrones, who's the other female character. So this is the second movie that we've watched to pass it? I <laughs> <laughs> have to go through all of our episodes and find out how many. Well, the one we'll that I did chart. without Ross, that was all the women in the cave passed, obviously. So there's no mm-hmm. more than that. Like, that's it. Uh, does Jurassic Park pass? I don't think it did. No. Is there is there not any scenes where um, Lex and uh, no Lex and Ellie chat about stuff? No. Hmm. I remember that year one technically passed when uh, the two women were about to be sacrificed, and one of them offered a cup of uh, sedative to the other one. <laughs> yeah, but she didn't speak, right? Yeah, she said, "Take this; it'll numb the pain," or something like that. Right. So, oh yeah, they gave that one a half point. So two and a half movies. That's bad. There might be more. We might be missing something. Yeah, but it's not half. Like, it should be all of them. (laughs) At least 90%. Like, it's still, even if we miss one or two, we're still, it's still not a good number. It's so weird. It's not something I've ever paid attention to. Once you start to pay attention to it, it's crazy. If you've been enjoying Screens of the Stone Age, get in touch with us. Follow us on Twitter at SOTSA underscore podcast and on Facebook at SOTSA podcast. Or send us an email to screensofthestoneage at gmail.com. Screens of the Stone Age is supported by the Paleoanthropological Society of Canada. Find out more at pasc-scpa.ca.